0: Uh, is built to accomplish a lot and I'm looking forward to helping it get back there. I'm the big 10 has to modify system, but... Hey, welcome to the Husker Cusker Sports Show, the official podcast of Huskerhype.com. Justin here, along with the cousins Derek and Tyler. We also welcome back former Husker safety, Brian Wilson. Welcome Brian. Hey guys, thanks for having me again. Hey, thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, a lot has happened since the last time you were on last October. We have a new coaching staff in place, a renewed optimism in the fan base.
1: What are your thoughts on the changes that have taken place? I think the changes are pretty good. I mean, they've been uh, well received by the uh, high school coaching community nationally. Um, I think it has uh, sparked a new interest uh, in the program nationally for recruits, uh, and uh, you know, I think the the connection is back between uh, player. Current player, former player, fan base, and alumni—I think everyone's kind of uh, trending, trending in the same direction right now. You know, so uh, I, think it's, I think it's a real good, real good energy that's been uh, coming off of the program, and the response from uh, coaches on the recruiting trail that have had Husker coaches stop by their school has been uh, very positive. Were you shocked at how
0: last season ended with the firing of Mike Riley?
1: Uh no I wouldn't I wouldn't say surprised because when Scott started winning more and more games down there at UCF um, and then we kept losing more and more games at Nebraska you kind of saw that trend um, I think uh, I would be more I'm, I was more surprised of how the hiring process went I kind of thought that maybe there would have been like a, a bigger bidding war or maybe some bigger name coaches that might have wanted to jump in right. to that pitcher. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, really the only guy who was really in the picture from the whole thing was Scott. So, um, you know, happy it worked out the way it did. And, you know, we got, we got a guy who's kind of got the program going in one uniform direction, which is a great thing.
0: So your last year at Nebraska was 2007, which was also Bill Callahan's last year before he got fired. Yeah. Uh, So, did you see any similarities between the 2017 team and this 2017 team?
1: Yeah, I, well, definitely. I think uh, defensively there was uh, whatever that disconnect was that we had in '07. you kind of saw the same thing happening. And um, in 17 with this past group, um, I think that it was – um you know you start pressing I think kids start pressing they start listening to outside noise you start hearing it um and the more and more you hear it the more and more you try to make a play and I just think you saw a lot of guys pressing last year and the pressure kind of built up on them even though Riley really did a great job of deflecting it as much as he could and absorbing as much of it as he could um I think the whole coaching staff did a great job of doing that but Nowadays, you got social media, you know, kids see it everywhere. They hear it everywhere. Um, it's kind of hard to avoid it. So I think at the end of the season, the wheels kind of fell off because of the outside noise. All right. Uh, Tyler.
2: Cool. So, so, Brian, I want you to do your best and take us into what you think is going on in the locker room right now. Um, you obviously a new coaching staff. Uh, was, you didn't recruit a lot of these players you know, what are some things you think we should be on the lookout for? um, There's maybe some benchmarks going into spring ball into fall
1: camp. Well, I I think usually when you get a new coach at a school where he didn't recruit a lot of the guys, um, there's that filling out process. Um, You know, a lot of guys, usually when you get these new coaches, a lot of guys start transferring out. Um, Mm -hmm. We are lucky we didn't have a lot of that. Um, I mean, we had Tanner leave early, which was kind of, expected with the offense, Um, but Stanley stayed and, you know, a couple of guys who could have transferred actually stayed on board, too, and are going to work it out through the spring and see how that goes. Um, You know, so I know, you know, when you get a new coach, I mean, everyone has a clean slate, so even guys who kind of fell behind under the other staff, they get a new, you know, they get a new opportunity to prove themselves or kind of recreate their careers uh, under, um, under Frost and his regime. And his, they seem pretty, uh, uh, you know, open to position battles, open to letting these guys play it out and figure out what, you know, what they have. I, I get the What I get from the coaches on this staff is that they're pretty confident in their system and how they operate and how they do things, that they feel like they can take anything and mold it into what they want. So I think for the kids, that's great because, there may not be a lot of fits in year one and year two in terms of what they want to do in terms of the players they want to get. Um, And that says a lot for those guys in the building that they're going to get their fair share and their fair shape um, and try to build it. Um, I think after spring ball, you might see some guys leave because position battles don't play out the way you expect. Um, But like I said, it's so positive. The energy is so positive. It's kind of hard. You don't really see those... uh, those typical uh, benchmarks, you could say, that you would see with a, uh, a program with a new coach. Like you look at Arizona, like example, they got a new coach, new system, uh, and they only have one real quarterback on their roster. Everybody, all those guys transferred out. You look at UCLA with Chip Kelly, you got guys transferring out left and right. So um, you don't really see that at Nebraska. So we got lucky. Hey, Brian, would you like to speculate on who made transfer? Uh, I'm not, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not sure um, who would right now. Um, I mean, you could, you got some older guys who could have left who, you know, uh, at first. But now I kind of feel like if you're an older guy and you haven't left yet, you kind of want to stay, stick out, and see what it turns into. Um, because you kind of, you're you're not in the space to really go and get that opportunity at a certain school anymore because those opportunities have been filled with either incoming freshmen or they already got their transfer guys that they want. So um, I think for them, I think we'll see a lot of guys stay and compete the next two years.
3: Do do you think that the excitement in the state and around the whole fan base is something that's kind of thriving and keeping the kids around as well?
1: You know, I I do because I think the energy is – Like, it's uniform, you know? Like, there hasn't been any, like, negative splinters in the uh, alumni base or in the fan base. Um, You know, I think everyone's so excited to kind of see what this can turn into and what magic that uh, they could work at Nebraska. Like, you look at what they did in two or three years at UCF, and, I mean, Nebraska's recruited way better talent than UCF. Uh, And to be honest with you, like, they – Done a pretty good job of developing talent. Like it may not have turned into wins and losses uh, on the field, but the one thing Riley did do is um, he kind of rebuilt the brand a little bit and he made it, he got it national to where these kids nationally were buying the brand nationally um, in terms of recruiting. And then I think what Frost has done is he's come in and he's got, you know, this machine behind him of positivity. of Everybody wanting this thing to work for him and for the program. And I think that's rubbing off uh, nationally with the energy around the program. And when you're involved in that program, especially nowadays with social media, these kids see it everywhere. Like they see the positivity, the love that, you know, Frost gets like after his press conference with no fear, you know, play with no fear. Like I think those kids see that and they see the response and they're like, you know what? Let me really give this a chance. You know, when uh, I think when you get a new program with new coaches, what happens is you have that that fake, uh, that fakeness that comes. like, well. OK, I got a new shot, but the kids really know they don't have a shot. I think right now this is the first time these kids feel like, you know what, I really have a shot to either fix what I didn't do before or improve on what I did before. So I think that's why you see a lot of guys that are going to hang around and stick it out and kind of. Finish their careers at Nebraska.
2: Yeah, I mean Brian, you you, you kind of hit on the excitement, um, you know, across the country and how you know social media is kind of you know kind of shrunk the world of college football, especially from a recruiting right. standpoint. Um, you you look at what Mike Riley did, and one of you know Mike Riley's big fans, you know, they're a bit his big advocators, They talked about what he did for the California moment, um, especially with Calabasas. A lot of the kids mm. we brought in just guys brought it out so you're out in cali right now um you know what are you seeing from especially california but even broader from a recruiting standpoint and what this new coaching staff um are they gonna are we gonna see a drop off or is that something we're gonna continue to see great success
1: um i i think we'll be able to see uh i think you'll see some success here in California. I don't know if it would be at the level that it was before because uh, Scott Frost's coaching roots aren't really tied into, uh, like, the West Coast heavy. Um, I mean, his Oregon ties were, but even at Oregon, he really didn't recruit, uh, like, California. Uh, He was kind of the guy that kind of moved around a little bit and recruited his position. Um, And even Oregon didn't really recruit California, like, great the last couple years. Um, they were more so of a nationally able to pick guys from around the country. Um, I think what we'll see is we'll see more uh, um, kids from the South coming to uh, to Nebraska. I think that you'll kind of see the model. Uh, I think Ohio State has the best model in terms of winning in the Big Ten. Um, you recruit like an SEC school, um, and then you pick your guys nationally. Uh so I think uh, that they, I think you'll see that more. them recruiting down in Florida, I think you'll see a little bit better pipeline coming from Texas. Um, uh, but I really think they're going to hit that Southeast corridor hard, uh, just because that's you know they had their most recent success there, and I know a lot of coaches down there really like that Frost staff. So I think you'll see them hitting it heavy down there. I think they'll come and pluck a couple guys from California, um, like Adrian Martinez, you know, just one or two guys. I don't, but I don't think. California would be like their heavy base anymore. So,
2: you know, speaking of Adrian Martinez, uh, obviously he was a California kid. Um, Did you, what was his reputation out in Cali? Is this a guy that we should be excited for going forward?
1: Um, you know what, to be honest with you, I really hadn't heard of him until I seen him commit to Tennessee. When I seen him commit to Tennessee, I went and checked him out, like online, checked his huddle out. Um, You know, but before that, I really hadn't heard much uh, of him. He was from, like, the Fresno area, I believe, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, I mean, Fresno is, like, uh, there's, like, a couple schools in, like, that Fresno region that are good. Of course, like, the Fresno-Bakersfield, you got Bakersfield, and you got uh, Buchanan, and then you got one of the Clovis schools, and then everybody else kind of blends in um, in that area. So, uh, but watching him play, I mean, I watched him play in the Under Armour game. And for a kid that missed his whole senior year with the, you know, with an arm injury, I mean, he looked pretty good for that to be his one game of the year. Granted, it's an All Star game, but that's high level talent, and the ball looked good, and he looked athletic. So, I mean, I, I think with this offense, he has a great shot to, you know, do kind of what he did in high school. Nice. Right.
2: So, um, you know, just one last note on recruiting. I mean, again, out in California um you know micah Pittman. he, he released his top 10 a- any kids that you think nebraska should be going after uh, especially in the california area
1: yeah well, i mean the, you know the 19 class is kind of uh i wouldn't say it, well it, it's, it's got a lot of talent but it's not as talented as that 2020 group that 2020 group in california is like is loaded um but there's the, the 19 group is pretty good you got uh just from my area, you know, you got Micah Pittman, uh, you got uh Von Thibodeau, who's up at Oaks, you got Zach Charbonnet, who's an unbelievable running back up at Oaks Christian. You got, uh, i trying to think who else is in the area that's like really good uh, that they could go after. Um, there's a Davis kid over at Sierra Canyon, has like a UCLA offer. Um, Michael Wright over at uh, Valencia, uh, who's really good, he's legit. Um, they got uh, the Wilson kid. His brother was J.J. Wilson, who's at Arizona State, who's a freak. He's huge. Um, uh, then you got the Bell kid up at Antelope Valley. Um, you know, like There's some, there's a lot of talent in that 2019 class. I'm not sure how many they're going to get from the 19 classes because I don't think that those relationships are there yet or mm-hmm. as solid as they would have been under Riley. I think in the 2020 class, so they got a good chance to get a couple of guys out of that 2020 class.
3: Nice. Okay, we got spring practice coming right into the heat of the moment here. Yeah, uh, it's, it's probably everybody's second favorite time of the year. Fall being the first favorite, yeah. I imagine.
1: <laughs> Definitely but, agree. But uh,
3: with spring training coming in, is there which which position battle intrigues you the most?
1: Um, you know, of course, the quarterback position because you kind of uh, wonder. Uh, you know, the quarterback kind of shapes what they're going to do with this offense. Um, I mean, you know, O'Brien's a big, bigger guy, uh, but he's athletic. He kind of ran a similar offense in high school. Tristan, of course, I had Tristan for three years, and he ran the exact same offense in high school. Um, And then you got the Martinez kid who's coming in, and uh, he ran a similar offense in high school, too. Um, You know, so I think that, you know, you got three quality guys, and they're all, young i don't think uh i think o'brien is what a be a redshirt sophomore yes, yes. he'll be yep. a redshirt sophomore so you got you know three guys kind of three years you know lumped into the the last three years so it'll be interesting to see like what that how that plays out if there's a like a a uh guy that's head and shoulders above the rest i think that that's a big position um you kind of i wonder what's going to happen at the receiver position kind of what they can do with that position. I know last year we weren't very deep at that position. We were kind of three deep, really, at that position. You really played three guys. That's why you saw so many two tight end sets towards the end of the season. Um, But I think it'll be interesting because they don't really use a tight end in this offense. The tight ends are bigger receivers. Um, So I think it'll be interesting to see how they create depth at the wide receiver position with, blending the wide receivers and the tight ends into one group and kind of how they use those guys who create mis-message. I think with Stanley, um, and then you got, uh, what's his name? Uh, number one, the kid uh, from last year, Spielman. Spielman. you got, or you Spielman. got Spillman and then you got ties and then you throw the two bigger tight ends in there. That makes that an interesting, uh, an interesting group to check out. And then, uh, The corners, the corner position and the safety position, I think those are those are on the other side of the ball. Would be uh, that's interesting to see how those guys develop. I know those guys kind of fell apart last year at the end of the season, so I think it'd be interesting to see what they could do with that group too. So,
2: so um, Brian, you know, you mentioned Tristan in high school running an offense. You know, I think a lot of Husker fans perceive him as a west coast offense guy or a pro style offense guy um do you feel good about his translation into this new offense under frost
1: yeah no I, I, I do i really do because our offensive our coaches that we had our head coach and our offensive coordinator they got a lot of their plays from chip kelly so it's okay. the offense that scott learned um under chip and you know, we ran a lot of the same concepts that they run. So Tristan's seen them before; he knows what they are. It's just that Tristan couldn't, like, we couldn't let Tristan run when he was with us at Calabasas because we literally only had one quarterback his three years there. He was the only quarterback on the roster, so he couldn't pull it and run <laughs> on zone reads and stuff like that. So he really had to like kind of give the ball, and you know, even when he was in, had chances to run out of the pocket, he had to slide. So. Um, I think people will be surprised how athletic Tristan is this spring. Um, But it shows you, like, for him to come in, for him to run our offense, which is a true spread offense, and then go to Nebraska and learn Riley's offense and look as good as he looked in the spring game and as confident as he looked in the spring game, I think that says a lot in terms of uh, how he can uh, retain information and then also apply information on the field. So um, I think, I think he's in a good spot. All right. Uh,
3: you know, one of the fan one of the biggest fan gripes that I heard about Mike Riley when it came to maybe recruiting was he never went the juco route and, uh, frost obviously has picked, picked up the pace in this. I think, I believe we had five jucos in this last class. Right. And, uh, one of my most intriguing position, uh, uh position battles was the running backs with Greg Bell coming in. Then you got mm-hmm. Mar- then you got Maurice Washington and Miles Jones coming in this this summer that are high school kids, right. but out of, out of those JUCO players, which one do you think has the best shot of becoming an impact player right away?
1: Uh, to be honest with you, I think uh, all of them do, just because you know everything. I think in spring there's gonna it's not going to be the insulation isn't going to be as heavy this spring as it is uh, in the fall. So I think uh, all those guys, especially the guys that made it on camp, I think all of them made it on campus uh, mid year, right? The- um, and I can't remember what position he plays. I, I,
2: I don't think uh, Woodyard or uh, I don't think he made it on campus yet. Um, but I think they're still expecting him going into the summer. And That's
1: ball. that's the kid from Arizona, from Arizona Western, right? Yes. yes yeah. He's so he plays player. receiver. He plays yes. receiver. So, um, which we need him. <laughs> right, right. No, definitely. Um, but I think even, you know, this is going to be a light install. So I think this is more. So the first four or five practices will be eval to see what guys can do, what they can not do, um, where they fit. And I think the last five to 10 practices going into the spring game, to kind of be putting putting the pieces where they need to be to succeed. And then um, I think uh, I think that bodes well for the JUCO guys because the learning curve for everybody is the same. The number one thing with JUCO guys, especially guys who only have two years um, and no red shirt, is you have to come in and hit the ground running right away. Um, but these guys, they're all coming in, and even if one of them or two of them come in later, the learning curve isn't as steep because they're not hitting everybody with the whole playbook or the guys don't know the whole playbook. So that trust level can be established in fall camp and those guys can still hit the ground running on a level playing field. So I think, uh, I think all those Juco guys got a chance because I mean, nobody last year really put anything on tape that like stood out, you know, so they're kind of coming into a situation where all of them are needed to produce and will be looked at to produce. And if they don't start, I think you'll see a lot of those guys on special teams being impact guys. Awesome.
3: Okay. Uh, one last kind of question here for you. Uh, Scott Frost has come in with a kind of a whole new philosophy with, with his practices. You know, he wants to start early in the morning. Right. And, and, and then he's got this, uh, we're going to have one practice and then take spring break and come back full, full force for the net, for the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, do you agree with his philosophies or do you think there's a better way to go about it?
1: I mean, uh, man, I can't really knock what he's done. I mean, what he's done is, has worked for him. Um, and, um, you know, we, I don't, we never had a break when I was at Nebraska. We never had a break uh, for spring ball. Um, so we do spring ball. Then I want to say we had spring break, but when, spring break was never broken up for us, um, I think it's interesting, you know, you get the kids there. I know they talked how they showed up two hours early at four o'clock in the morning for that morning practice. Um, I think the morning practices uh, are great because it does two things. It gets it out the way early. Um, so the coaches have the rest of the day to break down film and meet with the kids. And then the coaches get to go home to their families earlier and you're not in there burning the midnight oil you know, five days a week and not seeing your family. So the grind of it doesn't wear on you as a coach. Um, the second part is you get everyone in the same building at the same time. Um, and you kind of get to keep track of everybody throughout the day that way. So uh, if you have practice at six in the morning, it's hard for you to leave and go home when you have class at eight, 30, 9 o'clock, um, And it's easier for the coaches or the program to keep track of the kids and make sure they are going to class. They are eating right for breakfast. They are eating right for lunch. Um, So I've noticed that the high school level doing that is easier. Um, And you just I mean, you know, if it works at one level, it can work at the other level if it's applied properly. Um, And I think that's their kind of their logic behind it is being able to kind of get everyone there in the morning, get it out the way, get the get the work in, get get all the work in before 12. And then the players probably come back around two, watch film and then you have them go to study hall from there Then they eat from there and then you send them home, you know, at seven, eight o'clock. So it kind of gives the players more time to have a life, the coaches more time to have a life and you get all your work done before five o'clock. So it kind of makes sense. So, Brian, would you have liked it as a player? Well, uh, I, I like I like the morning practice idea. We had a couple of early morning practices when I was at Nebraska for spring ball. Um, We had a couple of them, and then we used to do our – we had two lifting groups all the time. So we had a lifting group where you could come in at 6, or you could come in at – I think it was 12. And then we had a running group that was at – another running – in the summer, we had running at 7, and then a running group at 1. So everybody would come at 7, get it out the way, and be done. So you would come in at 7, run from 7 to 8.30, then we would lift from 9 to 11, and then class would go you know you go do your summer classes um so the morning practice i've always been a fan of that just get it out the way all right brian last
0: question here for you yep. then we'll let you go did you fill out a bracket this year
1: no I, you know what i was meaning to um i usually do like two or three a year but what happens is like the last couple of years i like i look at them like dude i pick the same teams every time
0: <laughs> i fill out two or
1: three brackets i pick the same teams and i'm like you know what like so, this year I was, uh, we had a couple of events. I work with a company called Game Breaker, and we make the soft shell helmets that kids are wearing for flag football and seven on seven. Um, and we have a bunch of deals with uh, all these seven on seven events. So, I've been on the run all across Southern California. So, I honestly, the first game I watched uh, in the tournament I sat on and watched was on Sunday. I think I watched part of that. Uh, That Michigan game, I didn't even watch the whole thing. I watched, like, maybe 10 minutes of it. So I haven't even really been watching the tournament. So I didn't even get a chance to fill out a bracket this year. It's
3: probably a good thing because I think everybody's bracket's pretty well busted at this point.
1: Yeah, I think Maryland Baltimore County messed up everyone, so. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It was so worth it, though.
1: Yeah, man. One beating a 16, that's, like, that's that's massive, right there. I know I think one guy I read something like one guy put down some money on uh like five hundred on UNBC in Vegas, and yeah. he kind of got cashed out. I was like, what well, am like who like who does like who has that? I mean this is some guy who has a bunch of money to spend, probably was a high roller
0: just threw, it threw
1: five hundred bucks on like seven teams. Yeah, it was,
0: uh, <laughs> it was actually some UMBC alumni, and uh, it was like eight guys, and they each threw in $100 for this money line bet. They just figured that they would just lose it all. And right. there's an article written all about it, you know, of, of all the luck that they're having out there. But yeah, it, it was a great story, and we'll remember it forever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's
1: 500 bucks probably wouldn't, they probably got back what? Like what? 3,000? 3, Something like that? I, can't I thought it was remember, 18 grand. Yeah, uh, it was, it was, 18 it was grand.
2: a I mean, it was a lot of money. I mean, man, That's yeah, I think it's like twenty-five right
0: to one odds. Yeah, it was why did we do did that? <laughs> well, <laughs> if, if Nebraska, if, when when Nebraska makes the
2: tournament next year, we'll we'll go throw a uh, hundred bucks in the piece so and Brian, you can get on that too. So
1: there you go. Let me know. Man. I wonder if Nebraska have a new basketball coach next year. I mean, uh. I don't know. Ooh, what are your thoughts on that? I don't. I mean, I don't. I mean, the, the program had. I mean, Miles seems like a good guy. Um, and Twitter, I mean, it seems like he's a great Twitter follow, you know, during the season, but I mean, they're not getting any kids like, like where, I don't know where like the program's going, like what's the direction for the, for the basketball program. You know, it's kind of like, what, he's just going to be mediocre, win 18, 19 games a year, lose 10, you know, finish behind Penn State and, and, you know. Penn State's had a better basketball program than we do right now. That's almost unheard of. So, so Brian,
0: would you be hurt more if Tim Miles came back next year, or if he
1: was fired? Uh, I think I would be hurt more if he was fired. I mean, they were kind of trending in the right direction at the end of the season. Of course, they didn't get it. They didn't get the uh, you know the the, the, the bid. But uh, I think it would be interesting to see like what. I mean, I. I would be surprised if he gets fired because the next question is going to be, uh, you know, who 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 do you hire? You know, everyone wants to fire somebody, but no one wants to provide the other end of the solution, which is, well, who do you bring in once you get rid of this guy? Like, what's the appeal of Nebraska basketball right now, you know, to the masses?
3: And I, and I think right now the biggest thing is, like, people talk about Nebraska having too much uh... – too much hype for the football team, and and we fire coaches too easily there. Well, if you fire a coach that wins thirteen wins in conference play, which is the mo- the most we've ever had, yeah, then our expectations for basketball is way too high.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I think I mean this is my thing. Like the Midwest is kind of ripe for like on the AAU circuit. Like there's a uh, there's a lot of AAU basketball in the Midwest. Uh, and there's a lot of good players. Even that, that second tier player is is pretty good. Um, that guy that you can get in your program for two to three years and kind of develop and groom and all that stuff. But it's like, where do in terms of recruiting? Like, I don't see us getting those guys. Like for basketball, and it's kind of confusing. I'm like, well, like we got the the stadium's awesome. You know, like you got the following. The, the house is packed. And it's like, how hard of a sale is this? It's like, you can't is it is it that hard to sell Nebraska basketball? I mean, so it's it's interesting, you know. It's always interesting to see how it how it plays out.
3: Yeah, and right now we're living completely off transfers. We're not recruiting well. We're just getting a good transfers. Yeah, in.
1: that's the that's the other. You know, did it at Oklahoma State for years um, with the transfers. But it's like, how do you build a, a program off a of, off a of transfer, especially in basketball, which is like, I mean, hard to do. If if you you know, you look at a guy like Izzo, uh, you know, in the Big Ten, um, who gets guys that stay for three, four years, and they develop them, and they groom them, and they turn them into good players. And it's kind of like, well, where do we like? What direction do we, do we want to go? Full transfers? Like, I'm down to go full mercenary in basketball, like for sure. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm down. Like, let's go old school Oklahoma State, you know, Doug Gottlieb, let's go get those guys for two or three yeah. years and just go get it and have a losing year every three years. But it's like, dude, like we're getting guys like for one year here. When we got a guy that quit like in the middle of the season because for some random reason, he just decides he doesn't want to play at Nebraska anymore. He leaves and then you bring him back and then, but it's just like, what's the stability of it, you know, going forward? There's always an interesting question with basketball. We don't
0: know what Tim Miles' fate will be, but you know he did provide an excellent and entertaining year
1: of basketball. Something that we're not quite used to in Husker Nation. So for that, we thank him. True, no, definitely. I mean, you got to tip your hat to him. I mean, he turned a you know he turned a rough situation into a good situation. So I mean, hopefully, you can build off of it, man. I mean, I know Omaha has a lot of good basketball players. Um, I mean, you know, hopefully, kind of keep some of that talent in state, maybe or. You know, tap into like that Chicago, Milwaukee, AU like circuit. You know, somewhere. You know, Denver's right. Denver's there. You know, Kansas City. They got a lot of good basketball players. So, I mean, I don't know, man. Hopefully, we can kind of tap into it and get some young guys in there that can come in and play for a couple of years. And it's like the young guys he gets that, that come in as freshmen they leave. Yeah, he has
0: trouble keeping people around, players and coaches around. That's what about to say.
1: Like, there's been some coaches, There's like a coaching like. Like there's a door there that's just like guys fall out the trap door every other year, like every year. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what's going Like, what is going on here, man? Like there was like a minute where like he was like the only coach on staff. Yeah. I was like, Oh yeah. Dude, how are you recruiting, man? Like you're the only guy on the staff. So, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, he's found a way to make it work, um, but it's like, what's the next step and how do you get there? So we'll see, man. We'll We'll see. Hopefully baseball can kind of carry us through and make a run for the <laughs> uh, for the worlds for the college world series. That'd be uh, I think when's, when's the last time you went when Jabba was there? Like in 07, 06? 06, somewhere in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: So, Brian, do you follow baseball a lot?
1: Yeah, I do. So, like, uh, like even when I was in when I was in in school, uh, I did baseball. I followed a lot. One of my best friends is Ryan Braun. So when he was at Miami, I was in college. Right. Nice. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and so uh, I followed him and then like Java was really cool. He used to always work out with the football team in the in the weight room. He was always in there with us. So we used to always hang out with him and talk to him. So we'd always support the baseball team. Um, but I definitely – I follow college baseball probably a little bit better than I follow uh major league baseball, just because uh I mean, you know, that aluminum bat kind of just does it for it. Got, it. Does it for got, me a little got the bit team better? To it. Yeah, man, so I follow it, and then out here, you know, baseball's huge, I mean, I don't want to say it's huge out here in Southern California, but, you know, there's a lot of uh, good high school players that kind of, you know, from SoCal that hit the Pac-12, so we kind of get a lot of those kids that uh, you get to see for four, you know, six years, so I follow it. I'm trying to get back to the College World Series this year, I'm hoping I can get back, my cousin goes back every year, so. Oh, hoping, I, hoping I can get there. I don't know if Nebraska will be there for you though. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think they need to bring the pinstripes back or something, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, we've had know, so many man. pitchers
3: hurt this year. It's hard, it's hard to it's hard it's hard to get much done when you got a bunch of freshmen pitching because all you guys have been hurt.
1: Well, yeah, well, I was talking to uh who's I talking to? Um I was talking to a baseball coach. I was at a seven on seven event and his he was a he coached baseball in the Midwest, um, and he's from the Northeast. Um, and he was telling me like, no, he was from Wyoming. That's where he's from. He's from the Northwest. He's from like Wyoming. Lived in Seattle. And so what he was telling me was he's was like some like I guess like in certain states in the Northwest like they don't even have a baseball season okay. because it's always during the cold and you can never do anything outdoors and there's no indoor stadiums. He's like so it's almost like they play. Uh, their season is, uh, I guess it's called, uh, what what uh, what is the circuit they play in the summer? Um, uh, area codes or something like that? Like, down here, it's called area codes. I guess up north, it's something different. But he was saying, like, summer is the only time that guys can really get work because it's so cold. And you got these guys pitching in cold weather, and their arms aren't ready for it. And you guess when you get those injuries where you're throwing, like, a slick ball or it's cold and you just can't maintain... You know, a guy staying warm, and you know the shoulder injuries come in, the oblique injuries come in, and you know it's just a product of the weather. You know, being a uh, a northern school, you'll have that that you got to battle the weather all the time. He's like, that's why it was such a huge deal when uh, what school from uh, from the Big Ten made a run last year in the tournament? Uh, not was it Northwestern, I think Indiana. it was or Indiana. He was kind of like, he was like, you won't see that run, you know, every year. He's like, you usually see those guys get knocked out. He's like, but what happened with them was they all got healthy at the end of the season and they kind of made a run. So, you know, it's just kind of what what it is with baseball. All right.
0: Well, Brian, uh, I guess we'll let you get out of here. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been awesome.
1: Before you leave, you got to throw out your Twitter handle for everybody. Oh, yeah, I changed it. So it's uh, Coach Brian Wilson. That's my uh, Twitter handle right there, Coach Brian Wilson. Uh, shoot me a follow, drop me a line. Inbox is always open. Say hello. So, you know, I was to talking to you guys. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll, we'll catch up later. All right, man. You guys have a good one. Thank you. All
0: right, thanks, all Brian. All
1: right.
0: all right. All right, guys, it's time for Last Call. Tyler, last call to you. So
2: this week, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers coach Sean Liu decided to take a leave of absence from the team because of illness. And there's a lot of speculation what exactly the causes, but I think it is watching the absolute demise of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, did you guys know Cleveland is closer to missing the playoffs than they are first place in the East? Uh, bad season for LeBron. Uh, get well soon, Coach Liu. <laughs>
3: He left for health reasons because he's sick of frigging LeBron. Come on. Everybody's <laughs> sick of LeBron at this point, except for Justin. But nobody cares what he
0: thinks. So, Or did Tyron Lou just step away because he's going to be the next coach at Nebraska? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I, almost, I, I
3: almost brought that up when Brian Wilson said something about uh, Tim Miles being fired. I, like, I kind of thought about saying, I wonder if Tyron Lou will be the next guy since he stepped down. Glad I didn't, so I didn't ruin uh, Tyler's last call, I guess. Yeah,
0: good job. All right, last call to you, Derek.
3: All right, so uh, Major League Baseball is following the footsteps of uh, NFL right now and going into the London market. They have a two-game series planned out for next season between New York and Boston. I don't think that uh, following the footsteps of a failing Sport at this point is probably the best idea, but I know they've played games overseas before, but I just don't like going into London. I don't think it's a good idea.
0: I have no problem with what they're doing. It's it's no different than what they've been doing by going to Mexico or Japan for anything. International exposure gets more revenue for the sport. If they want to go to London and they think they can get some people to come out, by all means, do it. You know, and it's also better exposure for the players to get out there. You know, go out there, see what's going on. It doesn't harm anything, and it's a novelty thing. You know, fans will probably tune in to see two teams play that they wouldn't normally play only because it's in London. It'll be at 7
3: o'clock
2: in the morning. Nobody's going to get up and watch that. (sighs)
0: Yeah. Well, you
2: might be right, and the NFL may be becoming a failing league, but I think Major League Baseball would kill for some NFL-rating numbers, uh, even with the failing league. So I think they should copy as much as they can from the NFL so their sport doesn't become on the verge of extinction, which is probably any any year now uh, where MLB is going, which would be a sad day.
0: <laughs> All right, last call to me. And it's going to be a last call to an exciting, upset-filled NCAA tournament. We have a Sweet 16 that features two 11 seeds, one 9 seed, two 7 seeds, and just two 1 seeds and two 2 seeds. All of this here reinforces my stance on why we should not expand the college football playoff to eight teams. Top teams that excel during the regular season and conference championship game should not have to play another game against a team that wasn't so stellar during the regular season. They've already proved their worthiness. Look, I get it. Extended playoffs are great for fans. They bring in lots of revenue. Huge ratings. But you know what? Everybody wins except the programs that already prove that they are a title contender. Guys, college football is the last wow. sport in the regular in which stick, <laughs> shut up! It's the last sport in which the regular season still means something. Let's not forget. Let's not forget what great teams do during the regular season and make them play another meaningless game against teams that are getting a pass because of their slip-ups for the regular season. It's simply not fair.
3: Talk about apples and oranges! Holy cow! I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. Football shouldn't go to a 68 team playoff. You're, I mean, you're probably right about that. Uh, other than that, I don't know that anything you said was accurate. So go on, I, Tyler.
2: I, you know, Derek, I, I tend to agree with you. And you know, what's shocking is, you know, Justin, that was a really well thought out statement made. It, it was sounds like, like it was spur. Written down. It, it's, it, I, it, was, it was, amazing off the spur of the cuff. Just thinking of that articulate statement, it just <laughs> not sound. <laughs> like
3: it was down <laughs> As John would say, put the
2: script down, Justin.
0: Hey, I have, I have lots of notes. I have lots of notes for that one. Uh,
2: no, I, Justin, I think that's a, that is a horrible take. Uh, that has nothing to do. Uh, college basketball, what makes the NCAA tournament valuable is the fact that anyone can win. College basketball is a different game. Um, unless you want to take the college basketball season down to 20 games – like it's too long of a regular season. It's not the tournament's fault that the regular season doesn't matter. It's the fact that the regular season is thirty-eight games. Let the tournament state it is. It's a great sporting event. College football. Go to eight teams. It'll be great football for everyone. Except so-
0: the teams that prove their worthiness through an entire season. It's great for everybody except them. Look, right. if you guys want to go to a sixteen playoff, go to a sixteen playoff and let you know the. Uh, the three through six let them you know battle for that chance to play the one and two seeds. Anyway, this is way too long. <laughs> all right, well, we, we gotta we get out of about here. this all night. I know we we would never get out of here. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to follow the Husker Cuzcast on Twitter at Husker Cuzcast. Like us on Facebook. Be sure to go to huskerhype.com for all the great new. Husker articles there, and uh, on behalf of Derek and Tyler, we'll see you next week, and uh, as always, Go Big Red.